pipe, oh, and it's yeah. blocked, and it, it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! It's Super Bowl week, folks, and we're kicking off Inside Black and Gold with news about offensive coordinator making moves on the offensive line already uh Derek Carr firing back against Michael Thomas's social media rants and uh little news on a new uh landing spot for a former Saints quarterback who retired but has a new gig already what's going on Jeff yeah we're gonna do a lot we're gonna go through a lot here like you said uh you know we're gonna start with Doug Marone Mr. Maroney that's not his name name's Doug Marone we're gonna talk about him but (laughs) Yeah, like like you said, we're going to get into Derek Carr, Mike Thomas spat. We gave a lot of we talked a lot about the Michael Thomas end of it, so I think it's only fair that we talk about the Derek Carr end of it too. We went on a podcast and talked about a lot of things, but more specifically, that's what we're going to talk about. And then the final segment, I have a my my offseason plan. I've mentioned it like twenty times, but I did want to wait until they had an offensive quarter in place, so we had some idea of like, okay, what are you looking at? Uh, before I went in on all that, but it's gonna we're gonna go through restructures, the guys who I expect to be out of town, the guys you I want to see them resign, et cetera, et cetera. So we're getting to that. But the first, first, you know, this morning I'm I'm going through Twitter and the Grammys are last night, and you know I have a I have a non-sports, I have a music take, and and it's that there is there is one perfect song, and I figured out what it is. Like of all time, just one perfect song. Well, I mean, there's there's probably more than one perfect song, but there there are like there's a there are perfect songs. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I've figured out what one of them is. Do you have a guess? Uh, Olivia. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of her last name. Vampire, whatever. <laughs> no, that's not a perfect song. There are a lot of reasons that's not a perfect song. Uh, perfect song. Okay. Tracy Chapman, Fast Car. Okay, okay. And I'll tell you why it's a perfect song. Because it does not matter what music you like. It does not matter what you listen to. You're scanning the radio. You come upon a station playing that song. You stop. You know all the words, right? Uh, Luke Combs covered this song. He didn't. He made no changes. He covered the song exactly how she sang it originally. It's the number one song on the country charts. <laughs> That's how perfect this song is. Someone else can sing it, and it's the most popular song just because it's that's it's it's a perfect song. Uh, and uh, they did a duet with it at the Grammys. That's why I got thinking about it. It's just like, it's such a great song. <laughs> it has nothing to do with football. It has nothing to do with this podcast whatsoever, but that's no, my take. One of those things, yeah, you definitely say uh, crosses all genres, obviously, yeah. and is quote-unquote timeless. It's perfect. It's such a great song. Anyway, uh, that's that's my... If so people disagree with me, let me know. If there's someone out there who does not like Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, tell me why, because I don't think you exist anyway that's 
Let's get back to the Saints here. I just needed to get that off my chest, and I have a platform to do it, so I'm, I did it. Someone will complain she's driving too fast and should slow down because you conserve, you'll conserve gas. I don't know. I could see that. I could see that. There's always something. But anyway, you know, uh, we yeah we the podcast I posted over the weekend it was kind of culled from the Friday episode of Sports Talk, so we didn't have the Doug Marone stuff that came out. I think it was Saturday, maybe Sunday. I can't remember, but you know. I think we talked about it in that episode of, you know, we the Saints didn't fire Doug Marone initially, but that doesn't mean that there weren't going to be changes. And the just the fact that you moved on from Cody Burns and a couple other coaches immediately after the season, that didn't mean that there weren't going to be any more offensive changes. It just meant you were in a holding pattern, in my opinion, until you got that offensive coordinator hired, or at least decided who it would be. And that's what happened on Friday with Clint Kubiak. And you kind of came to the idea that he's the new offensive coordinator. It's just a matter of you got to wait until after the Super Bowl because they're still playing. The 49ers are still playing. So you can finalize it. But that doesn't mean you can't have conversations about, uh, hey, do you do you want to bring your own guy in at offensive line coach? And I, it sort of seems like that answer to that was affirmative uh, because the Saints are parting ways with Doug Marone. He was in that job for two years. I think he did a good job of getting Cesar Ruiz back on track in year one and that and so you gave him some props for that. But I think there was a failure to get Trevor Penning on track in year two. And to me, that was a, a major indictment on the coaching. So I, I think that's why I went to the offseason. He was one of the coaches that I said, you're definitely going to move on from him. It's just a matter of who you bring in. And that's the case. So Clint Kubiak is going to have a few head, a few coaching spots to fill. Um, and he, it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. Yeah, I'm curious to know what does this mean for a guy like Jari Evans too, and his role with the team. Does he is he get to stick around? Maybe I know you know he was just in a an assistant role there, so there's a chance I think. And being a former player, maybe you know might help him stick around. Yeah, you know it is interesting because you you did fire the offensive line coach, but you you did not take any action on Kevin Carberry or Jari Evans. They're both assistant offensive line coaches. You also have some assistants at other positions, like right. uh, Kevin Petrie, Jordan Taylor, DJ Williams, who, you know, it seems like they're going to keep him around. And and I do think there is a balance there of like, it's not a head coach. So you don't get to come in and say, fire everybody. Yeah, sweeping changes here, right. Right. You can make changes, but it has to balance out with what the organization wants to an extent. Like Ronald Curry, it doesn't look like he's going to get an offensive coordinator job anywhere. So to me, that's a no-brainer. You know, the new offensive coordinator comes in, but he's going to have to learn with Derek Carr on the fly. And I want to keep the quarterback's coach who knows him well in that role if I can. So like, I, I'm not surprised that that's not a move you made, and I don't expect it to be. Clancy Barone, you know, I think he's a well-respected tight ends coach. And yeah, I mean, unless unless Clint came in and said, no, I, I have this guy and I really want to work with him, it makes sense that you'd stick with that guy. And then the assistants who, you know, the head coach knows well, the organization knows well. I think it's it's kind of, you know, I think it's got to be kind of a push and pull, a give and take of, we yeah. really like this guy. We think he's going to work well on your staff. So we recommend that you keep him, right? Yeah, and it's one of those things I would imagine, too, that for Kubiak, he's like, well, uh, let me get in the building and talk to this guy first, too. Or whereas maybe with the offensive line, the Saints knew they wanted to move on with Marone and the fact of Kubiak's like, I have someone in mind. Right, yeah. And, and I think, 
you know, with Doug, it was kind of a, an idea of like, you probably are going to move on from him. And I think it's more about like, I think internally they were like, we're probably going to go a different direction, but we do want to figure out who that offensive coordinator is first, just in case he comes in and is like, no, I want Doug Marone. Doug Marone is my guy. I love that guy. Cause Doug Marone is a well-respected coach. Like everyone's going to be like, Oh, that guy he's, you know, he's gotten head coaching jobs for a reason. Like he's, been around forever and there's a lot of respect there um but that clearly wasn't the case and so now the question becomes who do you bring in at o-line coach do you maybe promote kevin carberry right do you maybe go and find uh someone that kubiak has worked with james craig is a name that people might remember because he was at lsu he's an assistant offensive line coach with the 49ers now so theoretically speaking Yeah, so theoretically speaking, if the Saints wanted to hire him as offensive line coach, the 49ers couldn't block it because it would be a promotion. The Saints have found themselves in that situation with Ryan Nielsen last year, right? Whereas they didn't block Joel Thomas leaving because I think that's kind of an indication that you were ready to move on there as well and just saves you a firing, right? Saves you severance, I guess. I don't know what severance looks like for NFL assistant coaches, but saves you that process. So uh, we'll see. Another guy, Joe Graves, is an assistant offensive line coach with the 49ers now. John Benton is a kind of longtime coach. Uh, I think he spent last year out of college football, but he's a name that's been talked about. I think Luke Johnson with NOLA.com reported that today. So that's going to be the next step. And and I do think that you're you're probably going to come up with a short list of names this week from the organization side who you think would be good candidates. And you're going to get a short list of names from Clint, who he thinks would be good candidates. You're going to marry that together. You're going to do some interviews and you're going to start hiring. But I don't expect hires to get made until after Clint is in the building. I think that's kind of the just order of operations. Um, Because I want him to be in some of these interviews and in these conversations. And he just can't be right now. Like that just, that's just the- the He's a little busy. Right. Yeah. He's got a Super Bowl to play in or to, to coach in like there's there's just only so much you can do but i do think this allows you to take those next steps of identifying and maybe setting up some interviews so you can get ready but either way it's it's a big you know it's a it's a lot of changes right i mean you're talking about four hires at important positions right, wide receivers yeah. running backs offensive line <laughs> these are important position coaches so we'll we'll see how that goes but I do think that one way or another, your offensive line coach hire, and it's not, it's not going to be completely about this, but it's got to be partially about this. Whoever you're bringing in an offensive line coach, I need to hear from them a coherent, cogent, well-devised plan for how you are going to get Trevor Penning back on track to potentially be my starting left tackle. I got to hear it. I got to have something because I just don't know if that plan ever existed under the the last coaching regime. I guess not regime, but you understand. Like I don't know that if that development really happened, at least not at a level that you can accept um no, with right. Doug Marone and and how that was all working. Now, again, he did good work with Caesar Ruiz. So I think that's the frustrating thing and and maybe Caesar took a step back this year. I don't know. But I do need to see development from my young offensive linemen. Um and you know, we talked to Jeff Ireland about this at the Senior Bowl. Uh, and so uh, I just wanted to play some of that audio and, and what he had to say about Trevor in the offensive line position in general. So let's listen to that. Well, I think you should add young offensive linemen pretty much every year. So um, 
you know, with, with Trevor and, and Nick in particular, like I think they're really young, uh, developing, like high upside players that we're looking forward to, you know. But uh, right now we, we wish we had a little bit more information on both of them. We wish you could say, hey, these guys, we can plug them in and start. Well, I don't know. We can say that right now. We got we, What we do feel about both those players is that they should compete to start and, and give us really good depth if, uh, if they don't get there. But we should we feel like they should be uh, able to compete to start. And, and what, what is your evaluation of how it could still work out for Trevor? Well, he's had one off season. He's from a small school. We feel really good about Trevor. Um, you know, there's some things that he obviously needs to work at, and and he knows what those things are. Uh, I, I do feel like there's there's too good of an athlete, too strong of a player, too um, too many ups, too many things that he does well that uh, he shouldn't end up developing into a good player. Now, whether that's inside or outside, you know, right or left, you know, those are all going to be determined by his coach. And uh, well, I think we've got a good plan, and um, making sure we get the upside out of them. You see him as a player that could potentially shift inside in some form. It's really not my decision, uh, but yeah, I do think he could. You know, the the interesting things there are a, you know, we've heard the same thing from Mickey Lewis and Dennis Allen. They want him to compete for that job, and they think he can win it. He could be a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. So the they're not quitting on him. They're not giving up, um, but they're not going to hand him the job either. He's got to go out there and earn it and, and develop this offseason. The other thing, so he said, you know, he thinks he could play right or left. He thinks he could play inside, outside. That's going to be the question for me is if you consider switching sides of the line. I don't think you're switching positions. I don't think you're putting him at left guard this offseason at least. But I wouldn't hate the idea of you seeing if maybe right tackle fits him in some way. Like, and and maybe that's a position where instead of trying to have him be the starting left tackle on day one, you have him back up Ryan Ramchek and learn from Ryan Ramchek and maybe develop there. But either way, you know, I think you're gonna you're gonna get Trevor with some really important reps this offseason and with a plan. You know, I think Deuce said he would expect to see him working with a specialist this offseason, you know, one of these one of these personal coaches who can who can get you there. And I think that's that would be good to see because, you know, one thing that we've I, consistently from people who analyze the position from his teammates, from his coaches, everyone is in agreement that the athleticism is there. The issue isn't athleticism, it's technique. And you can learn technique. I can't teach you to be a 320 pound dancing bear. I can teach you technique. And so he's got to work on that and understand the position. And I know like that's a big thing Deuce talked about is like you got to you got to do that work and you got to get better. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they can do that. And the new offensive line coach is going to have a, a challenge and uh, he's going to have to figure that out. No, for sure. And I, that was th- definitely one of the biggest things for me that was, you know, the big dark cloud over Marone was the lack of development of Penning since this team moved up in a draft to take this kid and you really have gotten nothing so far out of him. So Some of it due to injuries. And I think Mickey Loomis alluded to the fact what well, we didn't do this kid any favors, basically, him saying? Yeah, I think they just kind of handed him the starting job and didn't consider that he wasn't ready for it. Um, and so th- to me, it's a- like, what, what was he doing all this season, though, that he couldn't even get to be in a reserve role and even any any kind of factor? Yeah, it's tough because did I don't did did Andres leave any games? Like, were there, were there, 
I guess the week 18 is the best example because Andres did leave and you put Hurst there instead, which that's that's a problem because that means he wasn't ready, right? There weren't a ton of situations like like they could have put him in the jumbo role. They chose not to. And so he was the back. He was the emergency left tackle. Like, I think if Hurst went down in that role, then you would have seen Trevor. But at that point, no, he's not ready to go on the field. And, and that's a problem to me. The other guy that's interesting and, and Jeff mentioned is Nick Saldaveri, who, you know, also got a redshirt year. And I, and I don't think that the issue is a redshirt year per se, but I, I do have an issue with having, giving a guy the job and taking it away. And, and like, I wish it had gone the other way. I wish right, they I had had this, the foresight to start with Andres or start with James at left tackle and then have Trevor available to step in and then maybe midseason go to him in the way that you would have in his rookie season, right? He was not going to start right away as a rookie. He was going to be the backup left tackle. And, you know, there's a scenario where maybe someone goes down and you get some reps and then you work into that role and you build confidence as opposed to as opposed to the way they did it, which is throw him in before he is ready and then bench him midseason, which has the exact opposite effect, right? And so that's that's a big criticism I have, and to me it just it's a sign that they just kind of mis misunderstood where he was in that development, and you know there might have been I'm sure there was pressure from the top in terms of this is a first round pick you got to get him on the field. But they didn't like like you said it, Mickey said it, DA said it. They did not do him any favors in that regard, and so I'm I'm hopeful. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's got no chance to be a a NFL caliber left tackle because you just don't know that yet. But I will sit here and say that it's more about technique than it is about physicality and the ability to do it. And that's why everyone's like throw him at guard. It's if he's struggling to learn the technique at the position that he's played his whole life. Why do you think he's going to succeed at guard is my question. And I am yet to hear an answer beyond, well, I heard he's a great run blocker. Well, sure. But it's, it's just, it's not an easier position. It's a different position. And I think the first step is to figure out whether he can be a left tackle. And that's, what's going to happen. And people are going, I already decided he's not a left tackle. Well, I don't care what you think. Because like I talked to the I talked to his teammates and to a, to a man none of them tell me that they think he doesn't have the capability to play left tackle they think he's got to learn how to play left tackle uh, and he came in more raw than I think anyone expected um, that I think is you know the biggest issue too it's like man you shot the moon for this kiddo and it's it's been rough getting no return out of him really so far. I, so here, here's the thing. One, one thing that annoys me is when people say like they traded up for Trevor Penning. They didn't really trade up for Trevor Penning. They traded for an extra pick. And that other pick was Chris Olave. So like in terms of the draft compensation, you can't just say, well, the trade was made for Trevor Penning. Right? The trade was made so you could pick two guys, and one of those guys ended up being Chris Olave. So he has to be a piece right, of but, that conversation. But the other one, yeah, was was Penning. Yes, it is. <laughs> and and but like the trade itself can't just be said, oh, there was a it's not like the Marcus Davenport trade, but I hear people talk about it like the Marcus Davenport I gotcha. trade. Where you traded two picks to make one pick. In this case, you traded you traded a, several picks, but you traded two first rounders to make that second first rounder a year early. Right. 
And then then you traded additional assets to go up and get Chris Olave at what 11, 10, whatever it was. Um, but that the the idea was always you make two picks. And that's the difference to me is you did get two players. Now, you hit on one of those picks. <laughs> I think Chris was the is the best wide receiver. I mean, empirically speaking, you could say Garrett Garrett Wilson, but you know, over two a two-year sample size, I like what Chris did better than what what Garrett did. I like what Chris has done better than what Drake London has done. I like what Chris has done better than what Jameson Williams has done. You know, you like go up and down that list of rookie wide receivers. So, I mean, you, I think, but this is, this is the issue you run into when you draft for need, right? Like this is when I think you look at that pick and you're like, well, they needed a left tackle. So they went and drafted the best left tackle available, but maybe he wasn't the best option in that draft slot. But you, but why did you make that pick? You needed a left tackle. So, like, that's why when people say, well, they need this, they don't need this. You drafted a cornerback instead of something else in round two. What's because you went best player available. And I think you're happier with Alante Taylor in round two than you would be if you reached for something else. So, I don't know. That, that just kind of goes back to the draft philosophy of like, well, why did they draft? Why did they build on a strength rather than try to fill a hole? Because when you try to fill gaps in your roster through the draft, you make mistakes. And, you know, there's there's one of them. But again, hopefully the new offensive line coach can can find a route to development that Doug Marone didn't. And and, and yeah, you know, and I know that it was a big joke, I feel like, in the beginning of uh, Penning's initial rookie camp of him having that aggression and getting into fights with players. But you know what? I feel like this year we kind of saw really too tame of of Trevor. So hopefully the new offensive, you know, line coach too can bring back some of that nastiness and aggressiveness because maybe it was a little too much and like just it got you know overwhelming for for Penning because yeah, like you talk about everybody speaks about the abilities. It's all about refining technique. Well, uh, obviously this season is going to be huge to see what in fact you can get out of this guy that you invested a lot in. I'll just say that. Yeah, and if you're trying to convince yourself that there's there's a reality where he can improve and and become a much better player next year, uh, it's you need it, him it, really. <laughs> it's fairly speaking, like it. And this is not this is not a re- ridiculous thing to say. He has not had a true off season at the NFL level to this point in his rookie season. Obviously, that's a whirlwind of of stuff. You're kind of just learning how to be an NFL player the development there is not as consistent as you'll probably see as you would probably expect it to be in year two. Well, in year two, he had that injury in week 18. He had surgery. He didn't really, he couldn't really do the work in the off season that you would probably hope a second year player would be able to do to fix things like Chris Olave came back in year two as a, as, as a player that had worked on certain things that he struggled at in the off season. And, and same thing with Rashid Shahid, right? And, Trevor never really got the opportunity to do that. And so hopefully that process as it happens this year will lead to a different guy walking through the door in terms of readiness yeah. than you got this year. Like that's and- that's the glass half full way to approach this is he, he didn't get hurt. He's healthy. And so he can do the work. Now he has to do the work, but he can do the work in a way that he was unable to last year. And for me, a little bit of frustrating, you know, a lot of the people that talk about making that move from, you know, tackle to guard, 
I always hear footwork being brought up. And you know what? I'm no offensive line guru, obviously. So I, I don't know what the factor is there. And if, in fact, that, you know, all of a sudden now Penning's footwork was more suited for a guard spot than tackle in the NFL. The footwork's important at guard, too. Right, right. Like, right it's exactly. a different footwork. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, people talk about guard as if it's like the offensive line light position <laughs> of like, oh, you can't play tackle. Well, guard is easier. It's not. It's just a different position. The same way not all guards can play center, right? <laughs> you just got to be good at what you do. Um, and, you know, like like maybe, you know, again, like I would rather you see what he, if he can shift across the line first, if maybe that's a better position for him. Right. Because your right tackle is typically your more run dominant player and your left tackle is usually your pass pro dominant player. Um, so, I mean, that's something maybe you look at and maybe it makes more sense to Miles. I don't know, but I don't expect this off season to be the one that you shift him to guard. Now, if you're going to do that, maybe it's next year. Maybe you go through this year and it's just like, nope, he's not figuring it out. Let's try something else. But again, you want, I want him to go through an entire off season working on the skills necessary to play tackle. And that's what it sounds like is going to happen. So that's all I got there. Um, again, you know, we got a bunch of coaching up openings and over the next few weeks, I'm sure we'll, we'll start to hear a lot of names thrown out there. Um, but for now, uh, it's offensive line coach, wide receivers, coach, running backs, coach, and then you have an offensive assistant job open with Bob Bicknell getting fired. We got to watch out. They don't come after Deuce McAllister for the running backs coach. <laughs> no, and that's and again, like I mentioned, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think Deuce wants to coach personally. You know, <laughs> Deuce has never come across to me as someone who's really that interested in getting into coaching. I could be wrong, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I'd like to see the Saints go out and poach some <laughs> poach some coaches, right? Uh, well, that, that, that's the thing. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested. Obviously, we're, we're going to see after Super Bowl time who exactly Kubiak's going to bring with him because I don't I don't think he's leaving empty handed, honestly. No, and that's you know it, it's you know I, I do look at it, and the funny thing is going to be when you know you know the offense is great next year, you know, and and that's a very pie in the sky take, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The offense looks way better under this new this new offensive coordinator, and then with, this is a situation the Saints have never been in before, never been in, haven't been in for a long time. Is hot shot offensive coordinator gets hired somewhere else, and now you're yeah. in this position the Bucks are in, right? <laughs> um, and so. I'm hopeful that, you know, you're retaining Ronald Curry. And if that did happen, then he would get that. You know, that's why, like, it's tough to be a defensive head coach because you're getting your pieces picked away from you uh, every offseason. And it's only the good seasons. It's not the bad seasons. It's not when things are going badly, you're not having coaches pilfered. It's when things are going good. Um, and that's what makes it hard to maintain over time. But I'm still hopeful that Ronald can be the offensive coordinator in New Orleans uh, because I think RC deserves that job. And it's the the route to that now is okay the Saints offense really hits its stride under Clint and then okay RC this is your turn right because you get he gets hired away as a head coach and nothing you can do and and but that's yeah that's the pie this guy take that's way down the road kind of take but that's all I got anything else on the coaches before we move on no what you're right there and like you, you got to think that the career path for obviously Clint Kubiak is his goal is to be like daddy and become a head coach, a Super Bowl winning head coach. Right. He wants to be a head Like, that's the thing. No one, no one signs up to be an offensive coordinator 
with no ambitions of being a head coach. Actually, I take it back. There's only one that I can think of, and it's Pete Carmichael. <laughs> and that's why you had stuck with him for so long. Because he was like just fine. I'm, I'm cool here. Who is willing to be that kind of servant leader who has that he's going to have that role, but he's not going to be constantly looking out in the rearview mirror for like, oh, I wonder if they want to hire me as a head coach. Like, it's just I'm not good. It's one of the, you know, people make fun of him because he's kind of this meek fellow, but it was one of the best traits is you had stability, you know, and uh, we'll see how that goes over time. But yeah, it's, it's funny because like this could be a one year thing. This could be a one because it doesn't go well and DA gets fired and you fire Clint. This could be a one year thing because it goes really well and he gets hired as a head coach or, you know, maybe you end up in the situation the Lions are in where, he gets interviewed for a head coaching job. And then I don't know what the hell happened, but it sure sounds like it didn't go well uh, with the commanders. Did you see that story about how his agent texted the commanders while they were in the air flying to uh, Michigan? There's a lot of other strange scenarios with the Raiders too, you know, yeah, with Cliff Kingsbury. Right. So I'm just, I'm hoping, hoping this all goes smoothly for the saints. Cause I like to, I like to hire, I, uh, the idea of Kubiak and I don't want to see anything go wrong with it. Yeah. But like, this is the thing you be careful what you wish for, because this is what everyone wanted. Everyone yeah. wanted a new offensive hotshot off. It's coordinator the building. Right. And, and what it's going to mean is that if it goes it, like you're, you're going to be on this carousel every year. And I think this is probably when you look at it, why the saints wanted to maintain the job with Pete, if they could, because right now you know, he wasn't going anywhere. Right. No, never. Right. He, was as comfortable as you could possibly be. And that maybe I worked against him. I don't know. But now, now there's a lot of variables. But anyway, this is Inside Black and Gold. We're going to wrap this segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Derek Carr and Michael Thomas. Who dat? If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Hit the Ring the bell on YouTube. Uh, we got over 9,600 subscribers. Uh, hopefully we can get to 10K prior to the draft but we'll see we'll see wow jeff i just want to point out to our fans on our odyssey app right now you can get wonderful stuff like will aliens invade the super bowl and force a tie yeah there you go yeah right now on the odyssey app how can you not download that app with that type of engaging content uh but all right we'll be right back on inside black and go.